not sure what page number of the hymnal gives some definitions, you know, some of the names of God that are included in that song. But El Shaddai, the one who is powerful to nourish, to satisfy. Let's pray together. Father, as we interact with your word this morning, again, we want to be open and sensitive to living and applying your word in light of your work in our life, knowing that you are at work in us. You've begun a work and you continue that. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. As I study scripture, my thinking and my beliefs are often deeply rattled. That is, I'm challenged to think. First Peter chapter 2, 18 through 25, has deeply influenced me and challenged me to ask some hard questions, particularly some hard questions about Christianity and American Christianity. But let's read the passage together. And then I'll pose some questions. First Peter chapter 2, begin reading with verse 18. Slaves, submit yourself to your masters with all respect, <clears throat> not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong? And endure it. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In light of the flow of this passage, but also First Peter, do we American Christians stop to consider that God has called us to suffer for our faith as his servants? Do we think we should stop or attempt to stop persecution of believers in other countries when God says their persecution means they are blessed? Do we worship freedom? Well, we consider that one way to be commendable to God is to suffer injustice with grace. Ponder these questions as we consider a portion of verses 18 through 25. And keep in mind that Peter is writing to those that are undergoing persecution, not from the government but maybe from a mate, maybe from family, maybe from a slave owner, 
or maybe from a fellow slave. And Peter emphasizes their identity, who they are in Christ, chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, those with a living hope, and so on. And he's teaching them, guiding them on how to live godly lives in a foreign culture. He writes to citizens, verses 13 through 17. He writes to slaves, verses 18 through 25. He writes to wives in chapter 3, 1 through 6. He writes to husband and husbands in chapter 3 and verse 7. And to the body at large throughout the book. And keep in mind, last week I made a distinction between a servant and a slave. He calls the hearers servants of God by choice, living under God's authority. A slave is one who has a role in life that does not really have a choice. They're there because they're made to be. And he says to slaves, I want you to live freely as a slave because you're a servant of God. And we find, as we mentioned last week, he gives the responsibility to the slaves. He says, submit yourself to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good to consider, but to those who are harsh. And then he says, it's commendable to bear up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But what's the credit If you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Peter's readers may have been feeling a loss of empowerment, of status, because their Christian convictions and the various social misperceptions of what those convictions meant for the social order. Now keep in mind, a wife was to serve the God of her husband. A lady, a wife comes to faith in Christ. Now she's no longer following the social order. A slave was to follow the master's God. A slave comes to faith in Christ. Now they're following Christ. How do they live and respond? Because I'm following a different God than my master. As Christians who are to be subject to every human institution because of the Lord... Slaves and wives are be subject to their masters and husbands. Slaves, the lowliest social class in that culture in Rome, have to submit to even unjust masters. And they therefore become the paradigm for the status of all Christians. Regardless of one's social status, Christians who consider themselves to be servants of God And so actual slaves who is obedient to one's master exemplifies the role of the entire Christian community. And notice what the text says. To this you were called. In verse 21. To this you were called. This in the context refers to suffering for doing good. That is, being submissive as a slave, but as a free believer. You, 
He's speaking specifically of slaves. And he says, called performance of a certain thing. Living out their role as a servant of God as they serve as a slave. As you read the context of 1 Peter, the suffering in the immediate context is tied in with slaves. He then gives the example of Christ's suffering. And as you look at the larger context, the larger context seems to tie in also with suffering for obedience, not merely as a slave. Look at chapter 2 and verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Look at chapter 3 and verse 9. Chapter 3 and verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, do not be frightened. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Chapter 4 and verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trials you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. It seems the suffering as it relates to the immediate context as slaves, when he refers to the suffering of Christ, he seems to tie the suffering in with all that they're going through as they walk with God. How do we, as Americans, and I'm including Christian Americans, tend to respond in unjust suffering? We call lawyer. We go to the union, we change our circumstances, we press our case. Do we stop to consider the possibility that our suffering is God's will? It is for our good. It is to drive us to a deeper dependency upon Christ. It will develop endurance and character. Remember, Peter's addressing slaves as free people who are servants of God. They willfully, freely submit themselves to their masters. But that's not the only reason Peter addresses them, that is, as slaves and as believers, he's making a point that God sent his son as one who would seemingly have so little social, political power that he would end up dying as a, slave, a slave's death by crucifixion. In this passage, Peter identifies Jesus as a suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53 providing us the only New Testament passage that does so explicitly and extensively. 
To this you were called, Peter says, because Christ suffered for you. Peter bases his instructions for all Christian members of society on the example of Christ's lowly position in human society, but he addresses the first, or the lowliest first, the slave. The role of the slave in Roman society images the role of Christ, who was a suffering slave, obedient to God, treated unjustly in the world. He is interested in instructing the least powerful adults of society on how they should conduct themselves as God's elect. So what does Peter do? Peter raises, elevates the dignity of their self-understanding, that is, of the slave, and then the wife, and then the husband. The Son of God had dignified even the lowliest in society by becoming like them in his incarnation. He says, slaves, to this you were called. And then he says, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Christ freely and deliberately chose suffering. The free son of God, suffering as a slave to be obedient to his father. Peter points to Jesus as a true model for how to live a significant, dignified life of freedom even in the midst of most oppressive situations. Stop. Ponder. Do we American Christians and Americans, referring primarily to Christians, worship freedom more than God? I'm not answering that, but I'm asking it. We work to help the blessed believers in other countries that are being persecuted for Christ. And God says they're blessed. We work to stop their persecution. But yet Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Peter says the same thing. They partake of the sufferings of Christ. Maybe we need to step back and think that in unjust treatment, God is at work. When God's elect suffer unjustly and do not respond, this is grace before God. This implies God's special favor rests upon the righteous suffering of injustice. For other enabling that one behave in a manner that is commendable to God. As I read Peter and as I read the thrust of 1 Peter and the suffering that is taking place, not only with slaves but wives and the believing body overall that Peter's writing to, that mindset of unjust suffering, or I should say unjust suffering, and accepting it and not lashing out 
seems foreign to us in America. We want justice immediately. We want change now. We demand our rights. We go to court. We must maintain the freedom of the past. Suffering is terrible. Are unbelievers asking questions in light of the following situations? We have flowerists and bakers that are being given a hard time because of their Christian faith. And I'm not saying how they should or shouldn't respond. But is there a willingness to accept that with grace? There's a potential that churches will lose their tax-exempt status. Are we willing to accept that with grace and without lashing out? Marriage has been, to a large extent, redefined in our culture. How do we respond? Sexuality has been turned upside down, and there's a lot of injustice. How do we respond? Hebrews, just listen as I read from Hebrews 10. Where the writer says, Remember those earlier days after you'd received the light, when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and apparently in prison for their faith and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting inheritance. Peter is saying, slaves, injustice. You as a body, or bodies of believers, injustice, yes. But accepting that. Our living and our responses at times don't seem to invite the questions from unbelievers that Peter talks about because of our hope, as he mentions in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I think we need to understand that in our country that Christianity is no longer the primary worldview. That's just reality. It's where we are. We must accept the possibility of suffering as part of the Christian life. We cannot turn back the clock and get everything back that we may have had years ago. We may try, but it probably won't happen. We must be willing to think about the possibility of suffering for our faith as those in the book of 1 Peter experienced. Are we prepared for it? Are we willing to accept it following the example of Christ? Peter says, to this you were called, participate in the sufferings of Christ. To call to dignity, to experience what Christ experienced. And notice what he says in verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you in an example that you should follow in his steps. 
for Peter's hearers, whether it be slave or the church at large that were going through difficulty. He appeals to the example of Christ. Suffer as Christ suffered. Peter claims that slaves, and by extension all Christians, are called both to suffer unjustly and to continue to do right as they follow the example of Jesus Christ in his passion. His passion to be obedient to his Father. And as you read on, what does Peter say? Quoting from Isaiah, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they heard their insults unto him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I find it interesting that Peter has something to say here about Christ's sufferings. Who was the one that didn't want to admit that Christ would suffer? Wasn't it Peter? Because when, in Mark chapter 8 and in Matthew chapter 16... And we'll be turning to Matthew 16 in just a few moments. We find that when Jesus spoke about suffering, Peter rebukes him. But now he talks about Christ's suffering. Go with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. And we'll begin with verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day rise or be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he says, you know, if you want to follow me, here's what you need to do. But think about the fact. Peter is writing about Christ's sufferings, but he is the one who earlier rebuked Jesus. I find it neat that God worked in Peter's life. He rebuked Jesus, but Jesus worked so that he could write about the sufferings of Christ as an example to be followed. Back to 1 Peter. Peter quotes from Isaiah chapter 53 and references it also. The overall, overall flow of Isaiah involves strong judgment upon Israel but also the strong promise of deliverance. And that involves Christ. I'm sorry, in First Peter, this will be referencing Isaiah 53. Rather, if because of your doing good, you suffer and endure it, this is grace before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered in your behalf, leaving you an example in order that you might follow in his steps. 
Those to whom Peter is writing are going to know how to endure and respond to suffering that is not just because Jesus went through suffering that was not just to be obedient to his father according to the will of his father. He who did not commit sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus went through unjust suffering. He did not sin, no deceit in his mouth. He who, when reviled, did not retaliate. When he suffered, he did not make threats, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Christ is being treated unjust. He accepts it. Why? Because he's a servant of his father. And being a servant of his father included that which was not just. It included death. It included his resurrection. He who himself bore our sins in his body upon the tree. So that being separated from sins we might live to righteousness. By whose wounds you are healed. For you were like wandering sheep, but now you return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Peter says you're going through unjust suffering. It's, it's not just. Slaves experience that. Wives experience that. Believers in the church experience that. But he says, I'm holding up the example of Christ. He went through unjust suffering to be obedient to his father. And as the text of 1 Peter mentions, along with the Gospels, referencing primarily to Mark's Gospel, that the experience of Christ in his trial involved verbal abuse, where he was slandered by the Sanhedrin, Ridiculed by the Roman guards and derision by the crucified thief. Jesus accepts injustice without retaliation. In fact, he accepts it in silence. His silence can be compared with the loud threats made. And if you read about Jewish murders, before Christ in 2nd Maccabees and in 4 Maccabees you will find there that when there was unjust persecution there was a loud response of defense just reading some history but Jesus did not respond Jesus entrusted himself the judgment of God leaving the preservation of justice to God, that is God the Father, alone. Jesus knew his suffering was the Father's will. Retaliation would indicate stepping outside of his Father's will, resisting the suffering to which he was called. Obedience demanded suffering without resistance. And Peter is saying to the people to whom he is writing, Your suffering is to follow the example of Christ. 
where you accept the suffering, the unjust suffering by entrusting yourself to the Father. Hard to wrap our mind around that. Unjust suffering, you don't retaliate. You don't defend. You accept it. Allowing God to work in your life because you're following the example of Christ who went through unjust suffering in obedience to his Father. So I would pose some questions that I did at the beginning. Do we American Christians stop to consider that God has called us to suffer for our faith as his servants? Hebrews seems to bring that out pretty strongly, that there's a possibility of that. First Peter brings that out. Second Peter brings that out. And we have been blessed in our country. We have not suffered a great deal. Many countries of the world, there's great suffering. But are we willing to consider that overall, this idea of unjust suffering and accepting it, seems foreign to us. Why do we think we should stop or attempt to stop persecution of believers in other countries when God says their persecution means they're blessed? I read and I listen to what is being said in our country. We got to help people in persecuted countries. Yes, let's help them. But let's not necessarily try to stop the persecution. You say, why? Because Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when men persecute you, revile you, and say all kinds of evil against you. You're going to take that blessing away from them? So that's foreign to our thinking. That someone who is being treated unjustly because of their faith, that they're blessed. Jesus says that. Peter says that. Peter says, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when the glory is revealed. I'm not saying we go out and we seek unjust treatment, but if it comes because of faith, blessed. There is value in persecution. Do we worship freedom? As Americans, I'm not ready to draw a conclusion on that. But from what I listen to, Christian America, what I read, Christian America, sometimes I think our demand for our freedoms to continue almost overrides our worship of God at times. We consider that the way to be commendable to God is to suffer injustice with grace. I trust we will. Peter says some very, very strong, powerful things to a body of believers that are being persecuted. They're being treated unjustly. And no one is going to seek and pursue unjust treatment. But when it comes because of faith, Peter says... Follow the example of Christ. 
whether you're a slave, whether you're a wife, whether you're a husband, whether you're a slave owner, whether you're a neighbor, and so on. Follow the example of Christ, who is the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray together. Father, as I said at the beginning of the sermon, I've studied First Peter. My thinking has been rattled in the sense that I've had to step back and think and search Scripture and seek to live in light of it in our culture today. May we grasp, as Peter writes to his hearers, that there is unjust suffering. And Peter exhorts them to follow the example of Christ. And as we will find next week, as we look at some terms that are used in these verses, that being called to suffer unjustly is following the example of Christ. To accept it, not become angry and bitter in the midst of it, and not to resist it. And I think, Father, of those in various parts of the world today that are going through persecution because of their faith, unjust persecution, God, grant them grace. May they grasp that they have been adopted as your children. They have an inheritance that won't perish, spoil, or fade away that is coming in the future. May they follow the example of Christ in their suffering, not retaliating, but entrusting themselves to you, Father, because you judge justly in your time. May they rest in Christ as a shepherd and overseer of their souls. We pray for them, Father. We can't stop it. We don't desire unjust treatment. But yet, we know that those who undergo it are blessed. As we live in our own culture here in America, we need wisdom, Father. We need understanding to live out our faith well. Not being afraid of persecution. Not pursuing it. Not responding in a way that invites it. But yet living our faith. And if persecution should increase, may we be a people that lives well. Responds after the example of Christ. We love you, Father. We want to be faithful to you. And as we're challenged to think, In light of your word, we want to be obedient in our thinking, our words, and our actions. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.